Hello, podcast listeners. This is Rob again, and I'd like to ask you for a favor. As I often say, our mission here at Amplify Process Safety is to save lives by helping companies improve their process safety programs. However, we can only meet our mission by working with more companies, and that's where you come in. If your company needs a PSM audit or perhaps needs help with a process hazard analysis, or maybe you don't know how to submit an RMP plan to EPA, let us know. These are all things that we can help with. At Amplify Process Safety, we are experts in all aspects of PSM and RMP regulations, including PHAs, mechanical integrity, management of change, and we also have lots of useful knowledge related to NFPA requirements, combustible dust, etc. So if you or someone at your company could use our help or just wants to talk about some things related to process safety, please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, whenever you want to, you can reach me on my direct line, 207-229-0862. And as I said, if you know of anyone who can use our services, please let us know. Until next time, be safe out there. Welcome to Amplify Your Process Safety, the podcast that provides the experience and expertise you need when it comes to process safety and risk management. Our hands-on approach will give you the insight needed, whether you're new to industry or process safety, in a role where you interact with aspects of process safety, or an experienced process safety professional. Join us in our mission to protect people, the companies they work for, and the communities where they operate by making process safety knowledge available to all. podcast listeners and welcome back to the amplify your process safety podcast i'm john doan thank you for joining us for this episode i'm joined by one of the og members of the amplify team rob bartlett how's it going rob how you been i'm doing good how you doing john doing good been working good. on my podcast voice am i doing it right you are you, that's a great podcast voice i love it so what are we talking about today today we're going to dive into some process safety red flags Rob, you know what I mean by some red flags? Is that a millennial thing I saw on social media? <laughs> well, I, I I don't think red flags are necessarily a millennial thing. It seems like everything else these days is a millennial thing. But no, by so by red flags, I, if if we're on the same page, what we mean by that is, you know, we go into as consultants, we go into a lot of client facilities to look at their process safety programs, whether it's as part of audits or as part of, of PHAs or 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 other things that we do on site. And there are some things that come up that really make our kind of our antenna kind of a little bit more active. We're a little bit worried by some of these signs that we see, and and they probably mean that there's trouble ahead. Is that is that kind of what you're thinking with red flags? Yeah, pretty much. It's just kind of like either run the other way or like, you know, I got to pay attention to what I'm about to get into. So it's just more awareness, like you said, and just kind of paying attention to the details now. Okay, we put together a top 10, as we've done a few times here at Amplify, put together what we're calling our top 10 red flags. These are in no particular order. So why don't we just get started with the first one here? So the first red flag that we run into a fair amount is when management does not understand PSM or they fail to give it the proper priority that it needs. So what do I mean by this? Well, Sometimes we go we go into a facility and they will say, 
hey, so you just did this PHA for us. Why are you telling me that there's 25 recommendations? We've been doing this process for 20 years. We've been PHAing it a bunch of times. Why are we still getting recommendations? Obviously, they don't understand that processes evolve, technologies evolved, you know, risk management, best practices evolve, all that sort of stuff. You know, so they don't understand that. So that for me, that's that's a red flag. Another is that they have this idea, this idea that they can be done with done with PSM. And for those of you who aren't, who can't see me, I'm using air quotes around the word done. Okay. So they think they can be done with PSM at some point. At some point, there aren't going to be any MOCs to do anymore. There aren't going to be any more action items related to audits. There's not going to be any findings. There's not going to be any PHA recommendations. As we know, kind of very similar to what I think of as a in the quality world, where we, we always talk about continuous improvement, Risk management through process safety is the same is the same sort of thing. We're always trying to improve it. Hopefully, later on in your, as we call it, your PSM journey, those the number of actions goes down over time. But to think that they're never going to get to zero is is not is not really a good approach and is kind of again another red flag for us. And you know, sometimes just as another example of of something that might come up as a red flag is sometimes we go in for like a kickoff meeting for a PHA or maybe for an audit or a PSM program development project. And they don't have the entire site management team there. You know, it's maybe the plant manager and just a safety guy or safety person. You know, process safety, PSM and or RMP these are requirements of the whole organization. So just saying that one person is going to be responsible for this is not understanding and you're not taking, you don't understand PSM and you're not giving it the high enough priority that it needs. So these are the things when I say that management doesn't understand it, that that's a, that that's a red flag. Those are some examples. And when these things come up at the beginning, I'm like, okay, we got to be careful here. Cause I don't know what I'm, what I'm going to get myself into here. So, okay. What's the second, what's the second red flag, John? The second red one that on my book is management doesn't provide the adequate resources for the process safety management, process safety program, just having the right resources to do the job. Sometimes you'll see PHAs conducted without the proper experience. So you might not have operators there. You might not have a, the right engineer there. You might just have someone to fill in the seat and say, that's good. But you need that operator who's been in and out of that you know, process unit to say, oh, for sure that doesn't work the way we expect it to work, or this is how we've been fixing it, or this is what we've been seeing. And, you know, you update your PHA accordingly, and yep. then you correct it when you can. So that's important. And sometimes I've seen it where it's just maybe just the engineer and you're like, you should probably have the operate out there. You know, they're one out there doing the work, right? Yep. And their value, you know, their opinion values, because they are out there. They're where the rubber meets the road, so. For sure. It well, and and not to interrupt, because I know you've got a couple more things to throw out there, but what I really hate is when you walk in and it's an operator who has been there for, you know, for three months or or worse, like you started last week. And it's like, I don't know, you, they, they said I need to send an operator and this is this is the only guy I had available, stuff like that. Yeah. That makes it very that makes it very difficult to have a good PHA. It's a great learning opportunity for that for that person, for that operator. But it's it's not not what you need. Yeah. And I just, when that happens, I just feel like I'm interrogating the guys. Like, so what's going to happen here? And they just, you know, they have no idea. Blankly. Yeah. So I feel bad. It puts me in, it makes me feel bad as a facilitator. Absolutely. Uh, the other ones I've seen is, you know, just maybe not that mechanical integrity ex expertise there, you know, or not having the right 
person knowledgeable on running that program. You just have some Joe Blow who's just kind of like, I'm just here because they've told me that I need to take take this. But I've also seen it where they maybe just throw someone who has different background, but in the realm of safety or compliance, it's like, hey, that's in your realm. How about you take care of the PSM program as well? The other one is just maybe not providing the right resources to properly understand PSM or just the specialty tools needed, like maybe providing the proper incident investigation, root cause analysis, or maybe a PHA facilitator who understands what it's supposed to look like and just having the, the right tools or providing the right tools to do the right job for the PSM program. Okay, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Okay, so the next one that we've got on our list here is that the so we're gonna we'll we'll pull away from management a little bit here. It's it's obviously not all management causing our red flags. Another one that we have is the site's approach to documentation isn't robust. So we all know that documentation is 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 a key part of any management system. We don't rely on what's in people's heads. You know, we don't rely on tribal knowledge. We want to make sure that things are documented. We also want to make sure that we're not just talking the talk, but that we also are walking the walk. So are we doing are we doing what we say that we are doing? Is there a disconnect between documentation and what's actually happened out there on the floor? Another problem that we see that causes a red flag for me anyway is the approach that documents are not living documents. So we've got procedures, but they live in a binder in the control room. And you go and look at them and they haven't been updated since Ronald Reagan was the president. Probably some changes have happened between then and now. So probably those procedures should have been updated. So those documents, they need to be considered living documents. So if they're not, that's a big red flag for us. And then another one is not having centralized locations for documentation. Now, whether that's process safety information or procedures, but if if the people don't know where to go to find documentation, they're not going to access it when they need it. And it's your your process is just not going to work well. Plus, when you go on, when somebody comes on site to do an audit, whether it's someone like us to do a, you know, to do a compliance audit or whether it's somebody from OSHA or EPA doing an enforcement audit, doesn't look good if you can't find your documentation. So anything to add to that, John? No, I think you're right. It's nothing more suspicious than when it takes like 30 minutes to find a document that should be readily available. Absolutely. And what a waste of time that is, too. God, do I hate yeah, that. Yeah, I know. But the next one for me, really close to what you're saying, is just relying on paper-based system. So if you have like a uh, paper-based MOC system, paper-based, maybe procedure document management, but just paper-based systems. Because I think today a lot of data is being you know, used on your CMS system. You can tell, oh, this procedure or this work order got done in X amount of time, or this MOC we got through X amount of time. I think a computer-based system for like your MLC or your mechanical integrity is very important because one, you know, I grew up in the technology computer age, but I can't imagine trying to track down an MLC <laughs> on someone's desk, you know, just trying to find like, I don't know where this MLC is at. I need to go find it. And you're just like, oh, it's on the engineer's desk. He's still reevaluating it. It's like, I didn't need some other people to sign off on this too. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna date myself here, but yes, I I there were MOCs back when I worked as a as an engineer, MOCs that it was like take the folder and actually bring it to each person because it had to be done today and walk it from office to office for them to sign off on it. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, 
paper. There's too many easy, really nowadays, relatively cheap uh, solutions out there for document management. Can you have a system with paper-based? Yes. But I'll be honest, back in the days when we had paper-based systems in this industry, we had about twice as many people than most companies have nowadays. Yeah. Uh, we've downsized so much that you it's really hard to have enough people around to make a paper-based system work. So yeah, if, if there if it's a paper-based system like you, um, I'm thinking, all right, we, we probably have some places here where their MOCs are not being done correctly because of this paper-based system or yeah. their maintenance program or whatever. So I agree. Yeah, I feel like there's a little bit more room for exposure. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, so the next one we have, number five, again, the numbers don't mean anything, so I'll maybe I should stop saying the numbers. The fifth one here that we have is a lack of attention to detail and or just having appropriate operational discipline. And what does this look like? Well, if you can, if you look at documents and you can tell that they're being pencil whipped, like hot work permits or confined space permits, or if you have checklists that you're using as safety critical because you want to make sure certain valves are closed before you start a transfer, you know, whatever. If it's very obvious that those are pencil whipped, that's just not going to get you what you need and, and is not the attention to detail that you need as part of your program. If you have MOCs and PHAs that lack detail, you know, again, this kind of gets back to we're going to do this just because it says that we have to do it. We're required to do a PHA. So, OK, we'll do a PHA. But there's no detail. There's, you know, very little scenario development and or it's done wrong. Same thing with MOCs. You know, there's very, very short amounts of detail in, you know, in your technical basis for change and, you know, no, no attachments. There's just a lot of places where those documents are supposed to have detail. So when they don't have detail, I get concerned. And we've talked about MOCs and PHAs in other places, so I won't go into that anymore. If you've got a lot of overdue inspections or PMs in your MI program, that is a big red flag that not only are those not being done, but there's probably a lot of other things that aren't being done as well. If you have SOPs that are not routinely updated, probably that's a red flag that there's issues there. And also, if you walk in the control room and there's nuisance alarms going off and you ask the operator about that and they're like oh yeah i've I put in four work orders for them to fix something and fix that and they haven't done anything about it that's a big big red flag or you know you notice that you know th there's some mechanical problem and they say oh yeah that th there's been a, P uh, a work order in for that for six months Obviously, you know that there could be some issues and that that daily operational discipline that things are are falling down there somewhere. And that's a big red flag. Anything to yeah. add? Yeah, no, it's the operational discipline. It's hard to measure, but you see the symptoms or the signs of, you know, poor operational discipline. Like you just said, you'd like rattle a few of it, but you see it. You kind of like, oh, if they're not enforcing this, what else are they not enforcing? Or if they're not practicing this, what else are they not practicing? So it kind of gets your, you know more attentive to what it is. And you just have to ask those hard questions. Like, all right, can I see what you're doing here? Yeah. But the next one I got on my thing, I think you mentioned a little bit, is just the lack of urgency and maintaining safety critical assets. And these are, you know, the assets you rely on as your safeguards in your PHA. And you're like, this is right. gonna help me prevent this overpressure scenario, or this is gonna help prevent, you know, if a fire came out of control, this is valve is going to close to prevent, you know, further fires. So it's important to do that. So if you don't, if I see the PHA safeguards not being serviced correctly, or if it's just 
impaired or bypassed for an extended amount of time just because it's not working properly or there's some issues there and it's not being maintained correctly. It just makes me wonder what else, what other safeguards are they taking credit that's not being, you know, independent, not maintained, not being inspected. So that's important to me. Or an MOC is not being completed for those safety critical assets or systems that are impaired to kind of compensate for it. So, you know, if you're PSV or RVs out, are you doing something else to make sure you're protected from an overpressure scenario? Or if your fire monitor is out, what are you going to do to make sure you have water available to a place that might have a lot more fire? You know, are you going to add more LEL monitors? You're going to have a on-site, you know, water tank there to compensate for it, or you're just not going to operate that process until it's there. So that's one of those urgencies to, you know, maintaining or correcting your safety assets. Yeah, your your examples there were were really good, and I've got one from you know from my experience where we had a um, I had a client who had a room that had you know a lot of flammables in it, so they had I don't know two or three LEL monitors around the room, and I don't remember exactly what happened, but the monitors were were out, so rather than shut down, we couldn't shut down, so we actually had the operators go every hour, every couple of hours with a four gas meter, check what the LEL is, make sure that there's no that there's no leak of flammables. And then, you know, two days later when the, you know, when the spare part came in, you know, we fixed it and we, you know, and, the, and of course all that was done under temporary MOC. So the lack of either lack of urgency or just not doing it, which maybe that is a lack of urgency, but just not managing those safety critical assets well. I mean, that's a big red flag for me. Yeah. Okay. So another one for me is when folks don't understand the hazards or how to manage them properly. And I see this a fair amount in more in like small to medium type companies or companies that do a lot of work in a non-hazardous area, but then they also have this small business, which is a which is a highly hazardous process, and they just don't understand what can happen, whether that's reactivity issues, whether that's flammability, whether that's combustible dust issues. Those are all problems. And really, probably the way that I see this the most, or the first red flag for me, is talking to operators, and if, if they're not even aware that what they're doing has a hazard related to it, then that's definitely a red flag. And then the other two that we run into most of the time is combustible dust and flammable solvents. A lot of our clients deal with these things, deal with these hazards, and a lot of them just aren't aware like how bad a combustible dust explosion can be, or they're not aware of all the requirements that they need to be following in order to be meeting, for example, NFPA 30 for flammable liquids. There's a lot of requirements in there they don't even know about. So, you know, these are highly hazardous processes. You know, even if you're not a PSM or an RMP facility, but you're dealing with similar chemicals, regardless, you have these same sort of, of problems. And if you don't understand that, then you're not going to be protecting yourself. You know, you can do a PHA all you want, but if you don't understand what the actual hazards are, if you don't understand what the best practices are for, for safeguards, what your design issues are, what your maintenance issues are related to those, you know, to that sort of equipment, then you're just you're setting yourself up for a catastrophic incident. So not understanding those hazards is is a big red flag. John, anything yeah. to add? No, I totally agree. I think you run into that issue, especially in like rural environments where they just don't know that, hey, this is having a lot of this on site could be 
catastrophic if I don't manage it correctly. So it's, yeah, you don't know what you don't know if you don't actually pay attention to what you're protecting against, right? Yep. Yeah. The next one on my list is change management processes and practices aren't robust yeah. or isn't strong. Like you yep. said earlier, there's a lot of volatility, even though, you know, your process might not have changed. The market changes, so you might have to change it according to the market, or you have some change management in your organization, you know, people retire, new people come in, so you have different stuff going in, or technology changes, so you have to change your technology because they might not make the part anymore, or you got a new system that's <laughs> supposed to streamline it, you know? So yeah. when that happens, sometimes, you know, significant PID changes could occur, and that's not being picked up, or, you know, it's forgotten about, and it's not being, you know, properly addressing your MSC process, utilizing process equipment, you know, especially like not testing it or testing it, but not doing the proper MLC to upscale it, right? So there's some of that. And then just kind of small things, but sometimes it could be big things like not properly evaluating the hazards. Maybe this like, we just did a change form, but you're not really evaluating the hazards that it brings. Like you might just be like, oh, I'm just, you know, put it in there. And it should be fine. It could be something trivial, but you end up putting a low point and you might have like a corrosion issue and you now have that, you know, failing in the middle of the plant and it caused an issue. But yeah. change management is important because things change and if you don't evaluate the change, it could compromise some other systems. Well, and you kind of talked about it a little bit, but one of the things that I've run into a few times is plants where the chemists make changes to processes that are then brought out to the plant and sometimes you know maybe maybe they're going from lab scale directly into a to the plant or maybe they've gone from lab scale to a pilot plant now then directly into the plant but at some point you go from being lab scale which is relatively non-hazardous probably takes place in a lab hood you know so with limited amounts of material so at some point you move from that sort of thing where you're not, you don't need to worry about process safety very much. Uh, you basically just have to follow, you know, the rules for labs to being in the plant where we need to have MOCs and we need to review hazards and we need to make sure that we're not somehow operating outside of our safe operating limits. And that's what I've seen chemists are allowed to, you know, you know, they, they, you know, scrawl a few things on a batch sheet and it goes out into the plant and nobody's looked at it to see, hey, is this a change that we need to worry about? And at a number of places, I've said, no, you, you may need to train your chemists on how to write an MOC in your system. But however it happens, before that goes into your plant, you've got to do some sort of MOC. So there's got to be some sort of recognition of that. And if people are doing changes like that, if chemists have access to the equipment without that MOC program being used, that's a big red flag for me. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. So we'll go on to, let's see, I think this is the last one for me. It's the ninth one that we're bringing up here. And it's a complacent attitude toward closure of action items. So as we know, one of the things that we're really good at as consultants is making to-do lists for other people. So whether whether that's from PHAs as recommendations, whether that's from audits as action items to close findings that we have, you know, the worst that a plant is about closing those quickly, the more concerned that I get about, again, how seriously they're taking this whole thing, what management's commitment is, all sorts of issues like that. So, you know, this and this isn't just related to 
PHA recommendations and audit findings, but also if they have incidents and they, you know, number one, if they don't do corrective action, I'm sorry, if they don't do investigations, but also don't do corrective actions based on those investigations, that's a huge red flag. MOC actions are the same thing. When we do an MOC, we almost all the time have lots of action items that come from those. Updating PNIDs and updating procedures and, you know, doing a PHA. There's, you know, all sorts of them. If those are left to just, you know, to wallow on a list somewhere and never get done, that's, you know, that's a big red flag. So hopefully the sites aren't doing that. But when I do go in and I see that there's PHA recommendations from the previous PHA five years ago that still have not been addressed, that's a red flag for me. And, you know, the same thing for audits. If there's a fine, if I have a finding that's the same as a finding that they had last time, that's a big red flag. Yeah. So, and the other thing I look at is maybe the date it was maybe initiated or like recommended. I look at that just kind of see are they doing it promptly or are they just kind of pushing it back but moving the due date back just to stay low on the numbers. But I always look at the initial again. Yeah. 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 So I always look at that, and that's kind of sometimes a red flag for me. It's like, okay, now you're just kicking the can down the the street or whatever the phrase is. Yeah. Oh, you know what kicking the can is. I thought I thought that would date me if I said that. Yeah. <laughs> so we got we got the last one here. What do we got? What's number ten? What's the last one? For me, is just the contractor not being involved or not included in the PSM program. So okay. it could be good... contractors aren't qualified for the work they're doing, or they're not trained in the hazards of you know the facility's PSM, right? So they're just not included in just the general PSM program. You know. You don't tell them what's going on or they don't know what's going on. They're not included in the program. You know, they're on your site. You should have open communications with them and say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're trying to do to improve it. Be careful over there. This has got X, Y and Z. So it's for me, I've seen some where the contractors are kind of just off on their own and just not really aware of what's going on. And it should be an open communications with the contractors like hey, this is what we're doing. We want to keep you up to date, but also we got to keep you accountable. Make sure you're following our rules, you're properly trained, and you need to follow our rules to work on site kind of thing. So that's the last one for well, me. Well, there's, there's and there's a reason why contractors are particularly, are specifically part of the PSM requirements of the PSM standard, right? Because it's important to include them. They need to know, as you say, they need to know the hazards. They need to understand where they are, where they're working, what could happen. And, you know, and and I'm not sure if you mentioned it or not, but you also need to make sure that they're trained and qualified to do the work that they're doing on your process. And I've actually, I've actually got a, a story that goes with that, which is that I have a client who had electrical work done by a contractor for years and years, and they did not realize that the person who was doing their electrical work in what should have been a classified area was not a master electrician and was not doing the work per hazard classification requirements, you know, et cetera, and ended up having a problem with that. So you got to make sure, you know, are your welders properly trained? Are your electricians properly trained? So yeah, you definitely want to make sure that your contractors are are involved. Thanks, Rob. Top 10 right there. Think we left anything out or want to add anything to that list? Let us know. Any thoughts on that, Rob? No, I would ju- just to echo what you're saying there, John, you know, so podcast listeners, what do you think about what we've talked about here? 
Do you see any of these red flags at your facility? Can you think of other warning signs that might indicate a breakdown in the site's process safety program? John and I would love to hear what you think. Send us a voicemail using the link in our episode description, or you can always send us an email, podcast at amplifyconsultants.com. And finally, our goal here at Amplify Process Safety is to save lives by partnering with companies that handle highly hazardous chemicals to create world-class process safety systems, as it's our firm belief that these systems will help prevent catastrophic incidents like fires, explosions, and toxic releases. Please don't hesitate to reach out if there's anything we can do to help you on your process safety journey. And for John, I thank you for listening. And until next time, be safe out there. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Amplify Your Process Safety. Head to our website, AmplifyConsultants.com, to find our show notes and other resources. Thank you for joining us in our mission to ultimately save lives by advancing process safety right here on Amplify Your Process Safety. Until next time.